My task this morning is going to be a little bit different than normal. I am to give what's known as the rector's charge. I was appointed rector here at St. Peter and St. Paul's three months ago. I'm still quite new in the role, so I'm trying to figure some things out. Um, before I became the rector, I was the curate here at the church since May of 2021. Uh, for those of you who are kind of new to the Anglican tradition and all of our, our terminology, a curate is basically an assistant pastor. The role of the curate is to help the senior clergy. And then the rector is the lead pastor. Uh, just think di director. Uh, the, the, the rector is the director. The rector is responsible for directing us in a way that lines up with the vision of our parish. The rector's charge then is to articulate that vision. And the good news, for me at least, is that I don't have to try to come up with something brand new. We already have a vision here at the church. We've had one since 2020. Uh, as I take on this new role, I want to acknowledge Canon Brent Stiller and his faithful service as the rector here at St. Peter and St. Paul's. He was here from 2017 to 2023. Um, and tragically, he passed away in, at the beginning of, of last year. Uh, even though that can, even though Canon Brent's uh, tenure here was relatively short, the Lord used him to accomplish a lot. Uh, Brent led us through a significant renovation project. Uh, the Lord used him to, to help us com basically completely transform our, our parish hall, uh, the kitchen. We got the installation of a new lift. Uh, we have new office spaces. All of this has increased our ability to do gospel-centered ministry in the downtown core of Ottawa. Uh, I think we should name the parish hall Stiller Hall as a way of honoring him. Uh, that's something we can talk about later, but that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, Ken and Brent also shepherded us through the, the uh, global pandemic, which was a very difficult thing for all of us and for the, the clergy, for Pastor Michelle and, and, and Ken and Brent, it was very challenging. And he saw us through an envisioning process where we identified our core values, which led to the articulation of our strategic mission and vision, which is sharing God's transforming love from the heart of Ottawa so that more and more people would come to know Jesus. To do this, we identified five areas of ministry to focus on over the span of five years. Worship, community, evangelism, developing disciples of all age groups, and stewardship. We are now in the fourth year of living into this vision, and if you have been with us during this time, then you will have seen the Spirit of God at work, cultivating new life in so many different ways, as each of us have invested our time, talents, and treasures into these five areas of ministry. I listened to Canon Brent's final rector's charge in 2022, and the main theme of his charge was reboot. Coming out of COVID, he called us to adopt a posture of openness to the new things that God is doing in our lives, 
uh, being prayerful, staying united as the body of Christ. If you look around, we're a very diverse group of, of people. And he called us to, which I think was really great, he called us to live like we're planting a new church. I think that we have adopted this posture as a parish, and we are now seeing the kingdom of God coming near in very tangible ways. For example, we offer prayer, morning prayer on Zoom every, every day, except for Sunday. We have a, a, a group of prayer intercessors, and we um, spend time uh, at special days throughout the year interceding on behalf of the needs of others. And thanks to Pastor Michelle's leadership, we now have prayer teams available during communion every Sunday. Uh, last June, we had a parish retreat at Camp Iowa. Some people came up just for the day on Saturday, and others stayed for the whole weekend. At the peak of our, of our, of our time together, we had over 80 people gathered, from babies to grandparents. It was so good for us to be together in that way. And oftentimes, Pastor Michelle and I will talk about how that was really one of the highlights of ministry for us last year. Uh, we have multiple entry points into our fellowship. There's the Canada Day, Day Project. Uh, there's Community Christmas Carol Sing-Along. Uh, this past Christmas Day, 106 volunteers served turkey dinner to over 360 guests. Uh, two weeks ago, on Shrove Tuesday, we served pancakes to over 200 people. Uh, our men's and women's Ministries continue to gather regularly for breakfast and retreats. We have a ministry called Room at the Table for families with young children, and we gather, we share a meal together, and we do some fun stuff. Uh, there's a play group that meet throughout the week. Uh, and recently, the Preservation of Fun Committee started hosting game nights where we've had a chance to make some new friends. We have a growing junior church ministry. I know we don't get to see it, most of us, because we're up here on Sunday mornings. But downstairs, there's upwards of around 50 kids, if they're all in, that meet. Uh, we have a beautiful new nursery, thanks to uh, those people who contributed and John Kennedy, who, who did most of the work. Uh, we have three classrooms that meet downstairs with capable, caring leaders who are discipling our children. Carolyn, who is the children's director, and she's also my wife, she tells me that, <laughs> she tells me lots of things. She tells me <laughs> that we are likely going to need to make new classrooms, which means that we're going to need new leaders. The, the ministry is growing. Uh, our, our youth group has over 20 kids um, that come out regularly, and we have a committed group of leaders who are, who are focused on helping our kids become disciples of Jesus. Three weeks ago, the youth group went up to Circle Square Ranch, and many of them have come alive in the spirit and they're now on fire for Jesus. It's very exciting. Uh, so good. Um, our, our young adults group have been meeting um, on Thursdays over the last two years, but recently it's morphed into a spiritual formation group that is now open to anyone interested in uh, developing a deeper relationship with Jesus. Um, we're now running two alpha courses a year at the last Alpha that we had in the fall, we had 24 participants, six leaders, a full kitchen team, prayer team, and then we went on a full Holy Spirit weekend away at Wapu's family farm. Just listen to the testimony of one of our guests who came. He said, before coming to the Alpha weekend, 
I had felt a longing for God's presence in my life. I longed for a true and honest feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit. At the, at the same time, I felt my heart was in chains. I have been showing up in life uh, as someone who had to figure it all out by himself. The presence of God had a profound effect on me. I felt God's love was poured into me, peeling off internal layers of distance from God. I felt my heart was unchained. On Saturday evening, with the unconditional love from faithful brothers and sisters praying with me, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. I was deeply moved by it. This weekend was a true gift. I pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit stays with me and with others. This is where I find a true meaning for my life. This is just one example of many people who were affected by the, the time together on the Alpha Course. And by the way, there's a new Alpha Course coming in mid-March. On Friday nights, we continue to show hospitality to our downtown neighbors and friends through a place to go ministry, thanks to Kate Sanderson and a whole uh, army of volunteers who are dedicated to this ministry. And then over the past year, we have seen new friends join us from the Ukraine, Burundi, the Philippines, Nigeria, England, Greece, the United States, and China. God is drawing people into Ottawa and into our fellowship from all around the world. It's very exciting. We are an active, growing parish. There's a lot of good going on because the Holy Spirit is working in us and among us and through us. And my sense is that as we devote ourselves to these five areas of ministry, worship, community, evangelism, developing disciples of all age groups, and stewardship, we should anticipate more. More people drawn into our fellowship and worship. More opportunities for us to serve and give and share the good news of Jesus with our friends, family, and neighbors. More people wanting to figure out what it means to live a life of holiness, growing in relationship and maturity in Christ. More disciples of Jesus uh, wanting to be trained and equipped to teach, preach, heal, and lead. More musicians and artists and writers seeking to create for the glory of God. Whatever you can imagine, expect more. Because the living God is all about empowering people like us to do abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. So keep imagining, keep dreaming, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. Keep stepping out of your comfort zones so that you put yourself in situations where you need to depend on God. The more that we step out in faith, the more we will experience Jesus together, the more people will take notice and they'll want to join in the fun. Now, I am well aware <laughs> that it's not always fun. <laughs> Last year was a very challenging year, and I can guarantee you that this year will be Challenging, hopefully not as challenging as last year, but it's gonna be challenging. Last year we experienced a collective grief with Ken and Brent dying suddenly. And each of us faced challenges individually. Unfortunately, we live in a broken world and we're all gonna experience that brokenness in different ways. We're all gonna to need to be forgiven for our sins. We're all gonna need God's mercy 
and is healing. I've been contemplating this idea of giving this rector's charge for a few weeks now, and the image that keeps coming to mind is that we are in a, a spiritual battle. I see my role today as, as simply rallying the troops to go out and charge against the enemy. Who's the enemy? Sickness, sin, evil, darkness, despair, death. All of these things are not God's will for us. These things are the result of the fall. The temptation for us is to let the brokenness and the secularizing forces of our culture and the fighting and the divisions and the worries of this life draw us away from trusting in Jesus. Last Sunday, we baptized little Aidan Reinhardt, and we were reminded, once again with every baptism like we are reminded, of who we are in Christ. We have died with Christ, and we have been raised to new life with Christ. After a candidate is baptized with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the priest then makes the sign of the cross using oil on their forehead, saying these words. Receive the sign of the cross as a token of your new life in Christ, in which you shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified, to fight bravely under his banner against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to continue as his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your days. Amen. I find it interesting how in one of our lessons this morning, it's Romans 8 telling us that we are more than conquerors in Christ. The Apostle Paul was very much aware of the fact that we are in this spiritual battle that's taking place. And he describes followers of Jesus as more than conquerors. The Greek word for conqueror is Nike, which means victory. In Christ, we are more than victorious. Jesus has conquered the powers of darkness, evil, and death through his death and resurrection. And now we are to spend the rest of this year, the rest of our lives, and on into eternity, standing firm on the ground that he has already taken. This is how we are being called to move forward into the future. This is how we will continue to grow as disciples of Jesus and as a parish. This is how we will experience the more of God's kingdom coming near, trusting in Jesus. He's conquered the grave. He's opened up a whole new world for us that is available in and through the presence of the Holy Spirit through this amazing gift of faith. Now we are to trust in him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He asks five questions that are meant to expand our vision of who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus. So let me just take a few minutes and we're gonna, we're gonna listen to these five questions and meditate on them for a minute. And hopefully this will help us trust in Jesus more and more. Question number one, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Paul had asked who can be against us, we could probably come up with a lot of answers. Those who are hostile to the gospel are against us. The world is against us. Our culture so often feels like it's against us. The evil one is against us. Sometimes it can feel like everything around us is falling apart. But Paul is not asking who is against us. He's asking if God is for us, who can be against us? God is 
for us. It's a great way of summarizing the gospel. In and through Jesus Christ, God is for us. And to this question, there is no answer. All the powers of hell may be set against us, but they can never prevail because in Christ, God is on our side. Question number two, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I'm boring this story from Alpha. I, I heard the story about a, a wealthy man who had a son, and they loved to collect rare paintings together. When the Vietnam War broke out, the son went off to war, and he died in battle while, while rescuing another soldier. A few weeks later, the father received a portrait of his son as a gift from the soldier that his son had rescued. The father hung this portrait over his mantle, and every time visitors would come to his home, he would take them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them all of his other great artworks. When the father died, there was an auction of his paintings. Many influ influential people had gathered. They were very excited at the opportunity to purchase new artwork for their collections. The auction began with the painting of the father's son. But the only person who bid on the painting was the family gardener. And he, did it. he didn't have a lot of money, and he, he wanted it more for sentimental reasons. He wanted it to, because he loved the boy. As soon as the painting was sold, the auctioneer called the auction to a close and read out the will of the father, which said, only the painting of the son will be auctioned. And whoever buys my son will inherit my whole estate. The one who has the son gets everything else. This is what Paul is telling us. We can trust the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who provides for all of our needs because he has already given us his most treasured possession. He's already given us his son. So if God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Our God is very, very generous. Question number three. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If Paul were to have asked, who will accuse us? Again, we could think of many possible answers. Our consciences accuse us. The devil never stops pressing charges against us. His name literally means accuser or slanderer. He stands before God day and night accusing us of things that we've done wrong. In addition, there are people in our lives that we probably know who are quick to, to point out our faults and constantly remind us of our shortcomings. We need to remember that God is the one who justifies us. Question number four. He, uh, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the Father's right hand, interceding for us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All accusations fall to the ground. They bounce off of us like arrows off a shield. Paul is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the judge. He is the one who is um, able to know God's perfect wisdom, right from wrong. He's the only one who sees things the way that they really are. He knows the depths of each of our hearts. He knows what's going on in all of our lives. 
and he is the only one who has the authority to condemn us. But he doesn't condemn us. Instead, he sets us free. Like we see with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, she was brought to Jesus guilty and ashamed, expecting judgment and punishment, but Jesus says to her, Who condemns you now? Neither they nor I go and sin no more. Friends, Jesus has paid the price for our sin that we could never pay. He died in our place. He died to set us free from everything that is set against us. And he empowers us to now live a holy life. Paul says Jesus died more than that. He was raised to life and is now at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. The author of Hebrews says something very similar in chapter 7, verse 25. He says, Jesus is our great high priest. He's able to completely save those who come to God the Father through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is alive. He's seated on the throne of heaven as our representative before the Father and the Father's representative before us. The cross is his finished work, but intercession is his ongoing work. Jesus' finished work on the cross and his ongoing work of intercession are a lot like motherhood. The act of giving birth is necessary, but giving birth is only the first stage of motherhood. Once the baby's born, then the mother continues the work of raising the child. Hopefully she has the help of the husband. In a similar way, the cross was necessary in order for Jesus to become our high priest. The cross was the first stage of Jesus' priesthood. Now that the cross is finished, Jesus continues to work by interceding for us. To intercede is to assist someone in need. To intercede is to help someone who cannot help themselves. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's ready and willing to help us. When we ask the question, who is the one that condemns, there will never be an answer. Because the only one capable of administering perfect justice does not condemn us, but rather he pardons us and sets us free to live by faith in him, and he's ready and waiting to help us whenever we call upon his name. Finally, question number five, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul asks this question, and then he searches for an answer by giving seven possibilities. Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? A few years after Paul wrote this letter, the emperor Nero unleashed a wave of persecution upon the church. Hundreds of Christians were taken and used as human torches to light up the streets of Rome. Many were driven out of the city and had to go into hiding. Did all this happen to Paul and the early church because they were being separated from God? When we experience trouble because of our faith, does it mean that we're being cut off from Jesus? No. Paul is telling us that it's precisely because of our union to Jesus that we experience trouble. This is why he quotes Psalm 44, which describes the persecution of Israel by the nations. They were not suffering because they had forgotten 
God and turn to foreign gods. Sometimes they did do this and they suffered for it, like we suffer when we turn from Jesus and return to our sin. But in Psalm 44, Israel was suffering because they were faithful. And Paul says, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. There is a kind of suffering that comes from following Jesus. And it's our union to him that we struggle. The, the Greek word for this is thlipsis. Thlipsis refers to the kind of pressure that's experienced when two opposing forces collide. Thlipsis is the word used to describe what happens when two tectonic plates rub together, press together under the earth's surface, creating the earthquake. And it's this word that Paul and the other New Testament writers use to describe what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why Thlipsis? Because the kingdom of God has come near. In and through Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is now breaking in against all the other kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is coming up, colliding against the kingdom of darkness. And quite often we find ourselves caught in the crunch. When you feel pressure and friction because of your faith in Jesus, when you feel that within your soul there is this kind of internal struggle between your will and God's will, remember that you are experiencing something that is normal in the Christian life. You're experiencing thlipsis, tribulation, pressure, precisely because you have been united to Jesus. And he has recruited you in his army to participate in the advance of his reign and rule in the world today. This is why Paul goes on to say, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are overwhelmingly victorious. We are winning a glorious victory through him who loves us. And then in verse 38, Paul chooses 10 things that some might think are powerful enough to create a kind of barrier between us and Jesus. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. He says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our King, has embraced us. If you sense that Jesus Christ has his hand on you, then nothing can separate you from his embrace. Through these five questions, Paul is revealing what it looks like to live in, into the reality of this victorious kingdom of God that has now come. And as you can see, it has nothing to do with our power or our effort, but it has everything to do with God's power and what he has already done for us. Absolutely nothing can frustrate God's purpose for his church because he is for us. Nothing can quench God's generosity since he has not spared his own son. Nothing can accuse or condemn us since he has justified us through Christ 
And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, for Christ has achieved the victory over everything that threatens to separate us from himself. Friends, this is how we are being called to move forward into the future, trusting in Jesus, the victorious one, who leads us into the more of his victorious kingdom. Does everybody know this song, uh, O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. And I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Do you know that song? Let's sing it together. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. And I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your and step by step you'll lead me and i will follow you all of my days